when a person hears the gospel today and responds to the gospel, their heart is changed, and they understand the love of God in a way they could not before and they now have intimacy with Him. They have a relationship with Him. They have the supernatural peace of God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Over the last few weeks, as most of you are aware, we have been working our way rather gradually through the Apostles' Creed. And today we come to the eighth stanza, I believe in the Holy Ghost. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2 as we read the first 14 verses together and focus on the Holy Spirit. You'll find it on page 1692 of the Church Bible, page 1692. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because one heard them speaking in his, because each one heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in their own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy word. Having left you on something of a knife edge about what's going on in Pentecost, I promise we'll come back and explore that further in a moment or two. There's a company here in Greenville who, if you are downsizing or moving home, they will send a crew to your home, and they will help you decide what to keep and what not to keep. And there are more ladies, and ladies forgive me for this, but this is simply a fact, there are more ladies employed by that company than any other because they help the ladies go through their wardrobe. And they will very graciously hold something up and look at it and say, I don't think that's you anymore, and they put it to one side. 
and they'll look at it and think, mm, not quite, and leave that to one side, and something else they may hold up and say, yeah, that looks really good, keep that. And ladies particularly have benefited from this immensely, and so they're very grateful for the service. But wouldn't that be something if we had someone who could do that to us spiritually and dig deep into the heart and the mind and the soul and hold it up and say, mm, no, that's not you. That's who you used to be. That's who you once were. Mm, no, I don't think you're going to need that where you're going. And that primarily is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the framers of the Apostles' Creed put together each stanza, there's one stanza on its own, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Ghost being Old English for Spirit. They were quite intentional about having the Holy Spirit in there. In fact, he's mentioned earlier in the Apostles' Creed as well, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And so my question this morning, as we come to what is one of the most exciting, dynamic, and powerful passages in all of Scripture, is to ask, who is the Holy Spirit? What is His primary work? And why do we absolutely need Him if we're ever to grow in our faith? And so with all of that in mind, let's come to Acts chapter 2. Notice how it begins. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, let me pause right there. Remember the context of what's happened here. Fifty days earlier, Easter Sunday. And imagine all that the apostles had gone through in the last three years. All those moments of great intimacy with Christ, of watching Him preach and teach, of experiencing the miracles and watching life after life impacted by the gospel and transformed by the love of God. And then, of course, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then the Easter weekend, and they would still be remembering it wasn't that long ago when Jesus was arrested and tried and beaten and crucified dead and buried. Can you imagine the extreme of emotion they went to over that first Easter weekend? And then, of course, the opposite, polar opposite, the joy and the thrill and the sheer ecstasy of Easter Sunday morning. He is risen indeed. How thrilling! And then for Jesus to say, I must go and be with my Father. Can you imagine how they felt? No more walking with them along the Sea of Galilee. No more conversations late into the night around a fire. No longer hearing his prayers. No longer seeing him at work no longer meeting the needs of those who are distressed and in phenomenal need, no longer. I imagine they felt a little abandoned, deserted. How can this be, trying to get their minds around it? And in John chapter 16, Jesus in the upper room had told them this would happen. 
In fact, he said to them in John 16, it is for your good that I am going away. And unless I go, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Can you imagine how uncertain, how bewildered, how confused they were? How could it possibly be for their good that Jesus would leave them and go back to his Father? How is that remotely possible? And yet he's crystal clear. Unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. What happened on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit descended, transformed hearts and lives, what took place was this, that the early disciples of Jesus no longer had simply an intellectual understanding of the death of Christ. It was no longer simply an emotional response to His death, but the Holy Spirit had now indwelt them for the first time. And notice what the passage says, all of them were filled by the Holy Spirit. Not one, not two, not just the twelve original apostles, all of them, the three thousand that day. And for the first time in history, God dwelt within the heart of man. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual for a period, particular purpose or reason, and He would lead and guide and direct. But now, for the first time in all of history, the Holy Spirit was living in the heart of humanity. That's why it's so exciting. That's why it's powerful. That's why it's dynamic. It is for your good that I go, because the Holy Spirit will come. And in fact, in chapter 1, verses 4 and 8, Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, why power? Were they not already witnesses? Certainly witnesses to His miracles, witnesses to His teaching, witnesses to the resurrection. But why power? And why is that significant? Well, let's get further into the passage, and we'll see it's pretty clear. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so, you remember, as we read it, they go through the whole list of Parthians and Medes and Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and so on, and it goes on and on. And then they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked, what does this mean? Well, when they heard the sound like the mighty rushing of wind, symbolic of the power of God at work, the tongues of fire and the heads of those who believed, what was going on there? Fire, symbolic, New Testament uh, scholars tell us this, that the, fire, the tongues of fire were symbolic of the purifying process that fire brings. 
over the next few months across our national parks, sadly, there will be a fire breakout at some point. And today, they stand back and seek to control the fire. They don't seek to put it out. They'll control it, and sometimes they will do what they call a burn-off, and they will burn off the chaff and the weeds. Why? Because they know this, that when the burning off is initiated, new life and growth and regeneration takes place. And that's what's going on here. There's a purifying takes place when the Holy Spirit impacts and then indwells a life. And what of the speaking in other tongues? Well, symbolic of the work of the gospel around the world, beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, and then breaks out across the world. That's what's going on. But more important than all of that, the Holy Spirit Himself brings intimacy with the living God. He brings a supernatural power into our lives, and we'll come back and look at that. And He brings purpose and meaning, and suddenly when a person hears the gospel today and responds to the gospel, their heart is changed and they understand the love of God in a way they could not before. And they now have intimacy with Him. They have a relationship with Him. They have the supernatural peace of God, so much so that regardless of everything else happening around them, they have a peace. And the people that first Pentecost Sunday found it much easier to dismiss it and marginalize it than recognize it for what it is. Because when God goes to work at a supernatural level, those around us become a little unsettled, a little unsure. And like that first Pentecost Sunday, they dismissed it as too much alcohol rather than recognizing it for what it is. And now you're thinking, okay, Richard, I'm with you. I see that. I've got it. But tell us about the power. You promised earlier, tell us about the power. Well, we're getting there, I promise. Here was the Spirit of God for the first time in all of history, indwelling the hearts and minds and souls of those who believed. And it is a supernatural work of God to take a heart that is dead and blind and lost in sin and breathe new life into it. That is the power of God at work. Now, notice what else Paul says. Continue down the passage. He says, verse 14 and 15, or four, end of 14, he said, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I have to say. And so, as we turn over to verse 23, talking of Jesus, he says this, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, please notice that. This man was put to death by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. In other words, Peter is saying this, the death of Christ, which he's just talked about, and the life and ministry of Christ, 
He is saying it happened because of God's set purpose and foreknowledge. In other words, the death of Christ hanging at Calvary was not by accident, not by chance. It wasn't, and you've heard me say this multiple times, it wasn't because Pilate was a weak leader. It wasn't because the Pharisees were jealousy, were jealous. Those things played a part. They had a role, but it was secondary to the primary purposes of God. And all that was achieved at Calvary, all that was accomplished in terms of salvation of humanity is now applied at Pentecost. If you're taking notes, let me say it again. All that was accomplished at Calvary was applied by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's what Peter is saying. And notice how the folks respond. Peter goes on to talk about the Old Testament, its fulfillment, the purposes of God. He talks about David from the Old Testament, several times in fact. And then towards the end, verse 36, he's coming towards the conclusion of a sermon, and this is what he says. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And notice what comes next. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that when an individual responds to the call of the Holy Spirit on their lives, and he touches them, heart and mind and soul, what takes place is this that He first and foremost convicts us of our sin. And He does it intentionally, and He does it powerfully, and He convicts us deeply and radically. And when God goes to work at such a level, please let me reassure you, it often is accompanied by tears and grief and the understanding that God sent His own Son to die because of our sin. It was our sin that held Him there, says the old hymn. And it's the convicting work of God, the Holy Spirit, that brings that home, that applies it to our lives, and makes it real. And please hear me when I say this. It is not simply regret. It is not simply remorse, but it is deep, gut-wrenching, awful repentance when we realize the gravity and significance of our sin. That's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, to take us to that place and reveal to us our sin and the horror of it. And then He shines the love and grace and mercy and goodness of God into our hearts. And after the conviction comes the joy after the conviction comes the renewal and the refreshment and the thrill of knowing Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you're saying, Richard, okay, I'm with you. I get that. But you promised to tell us about the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're there now. 
because not only does he convict and transform and renew and convert, he then gives us power to live. Power to live. He doesn't just leave us after our conversion. He doesn't walk away, but He indwells us and walks with us each moment the rest of our lives, and He enables and strengthens and encourages and supports, but He also refines and fashions us after Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Now, the temptation is to say, Richard, okay, I get that. I understand it. But how do I plug in to be sensitive towards, be aware of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life? Help me with that. Richard, spell it out for me. Explain it to me. Give me a sense of how that happens. Don't leave me with half the story. Take me the extra mile. Well, here it comes. All over the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a single promise comes up again and again and again, and it's this, that our relationship with God is conditional. It's conditional first on His love, which we now as Christians have, but growth and maturity is also conditional, and it's conditional on this it's predicated on this promise that we will nurture, we will nourish a relationship with Him. With obedience comes blessing. Let me say it again, and I'm going to repeat it three times. With obedience comes blessing. We think with belief comes blessing, and there is an awful lot of it. But if you're ever to grow and mature, we have to be obedient to His Word, sensitive to His call, because He shapes and fashions our character, and He will never bless us in one area when we are ignoring and sinning against Him in another and if you are here this morning and saying, Richard, I cannot wait to experience the power of the Holy Spirit you're talking about, let me speak to you. I wonder if you are here this morning and there is in your life what theologians call a besetting sin. It's one sin you cannot seem to get over. It's a sin that you are addicted to. It's a sin that is hidden deep within the heart and mind and soul, and you will not deal with it. And you will not deal with it because you enjoy it. And it's part and parcel of who you are. And when it comes your way, you surrender to it. And it may be something as simple as gossip. And then, of course, we realize that gossip is never simple. It's insidious, and it's bringing down the character of someone else. It 
could be addiction to pornography. The opportunity to go onto a laptop and see all sorts of things we were never meant to see or be exposed to. And it's become so normal, we think it is normal. Or it could be that we are dismissive or contemptuous of someone we used to love. Because the power of sin to work in our lives is so insidious, it is debilitating and crippling, and always will be. But please hear me when I say this, and let me plead with you. Please let me plead with you. When you find yourself face to face with that besetting sin, if you are cultivating and nourishing a relationship with Him, at that point the Holy Spirit will step in, and He will remind you, and He will do so powerfully, yet quietly He will give you an opportunity to stand back and distance yourself from it and be free of it. And my question is this, are you listening? Are you sensitive to His call? Are you paying attention to what He's doing, or are you continuing to go about business as usual? And the sin has become so besetting, you simply give up and don't stand against it. But it is when you stand against it, when you say no, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and mind and soul. And he looks at it and he says, that's not you. That's not who you are. Throw it out. Be done with it. It's over. At that point, then the power of the Holy Spirit goes to work. Then you feel the strengthening and the enabling and the grace of God and His overwhelming love. And when you find yourself on your knees pleading with Him, then the power comes. Then the enabling grace is at work. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But He will never force it upon us. He will never be strident, but quietly, gently convicting. That's the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And when He goes to work at that, that level, when it becomes so deep that you are convinced that a life transformation has to take place, that's the point that enables us to say in the words of the creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this convicting passage of Scripture. Thank You for its power. And Father, we dare pray this morning that we would wish to experience Your power at work the same way as those who first experienced it at Pentecost. Father, cut us to the heart, wound us deeply, break us, expose us to the convicting power of Your Spirit, and enable us, please, to mature and growth 
and cultivate and nourish and nurture our relationship with you. Father, bless us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Celebrate our nation's freedom at First Presbyterian Church's Red Light and Q on Sunday, June 26th in downtown Greenville. A barbecue lunch is offered at noon following patriotic services at 8.30, 10.45, and 11. More details at firstpresgreenville.org. We are-